My name is Katie Dutcher. I'm a teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction and meditation, and one of the founders of Monterey Bay Meditation Studio. In this podcast, I have interesting and authentic conversations with other folks who are practicing mindfulness, courage, and compassion. My wish is that these conversations provoke curiosity, inspire us, and help us to grow. These conversations are recorded live as a monthly event in my online community, Flourish and Bloom Collective. Hello again. This is the second episode of Flourish and Bloom podcast. This time I got to talk with writer and journal writing advocate, Amy Eden Jollymore, about knowing who you are. So this is obviously a huge topic, and it's a hugely important topic. As we talked, there were lots of pauses and kind of mm-hmm's and deep breaths as we tried to put words around some topics that can really be hard to put your finger on. Amy shares about surviving and thriving after a traumatic childhood, and she models how claiming and sharing your story is important not just for the teller, but as a gift for those who would benefit from hearing it. And of course, it seems like boundaries are showing up in every one of these conversations, so we do talk about boundaries. I loved, I I think probably my favorite part was I loved getting to kind of geek out with Amy as two people who journal daily. Uh, We talked about how journal writing is magical and how it is literally and scientifically good for us. We also touched on what you might do with a journal once it's filled up. I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Amy Eden Jolly more as much as I did. Our conversation today is about knowing who you are. This is the topic that we've been exploring throughout August in Flourish and Bloom Collective. And we've been exploring it through discussion and journal prompts and sharing about what this means to us and and kind of what gets in the way. And so each month as part of this exploration, we talk with um, another person, another expert, or I shouldn't say another expert, I should say an expert on the subject, somebody who can offer a a unique and inspiring perspective. And so for me, it really was kind of right away that I thought about reaching out to Amy Eden Jollymore. Amy is a writer, a journal writing advocate, and she's the author of a really wonderful book called The Kind Self-Healing Book. And that's a guide to finding and then unapologetically reclaiming your authentic self. And it's, it's, it's a book, but it's also a workbook. So there's journal prompts and other activities in there. Really wonderful and sweet book. I love all the drawings and, and special touches in it. Amy has an MFA in writing from Vermont college and her work has appeared in a lot of different places, including Time Out New York, Natural Health, Forbes, and more. And one of the ways I love keeping up with Amy is on Instagram because she posts journal prompts and other easy to access practices. And I 
I first met Amy at our meditation studio in Monterey just a couple of years ago um, when she had come down from Petaluma during the fires that were, were happening there. And since then, we've kept in touch here and there. And when I spoke to her just a few weeks ago, it was hard kind of for us not to immediately dig into some of the interesting and, and juicy topics that we have on the slate today. Um, so with, without further ado, welcome, Amy. Thanks for being here. I have really been looking forward to this, and uh, I'm thrilled to have this conversation about this particular topic. Me too. Even though I start by reading your, your bio, um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about you in your own voice. Um, the, the question there would be, who are you? What's, what's your calling? What's important to you? Well, I'm a writer. And in terms of my calling is very closely connected to that. Um, it's the way in which, what I've learned is writing is the way in which I answer my calling and, and help others. Um, so my calling has come to be inspiring others to be unafraid of facing their trauma and feeling their feelings. And I do that in a couple of ways. One is the book you mentioned, the Kind Self Healing book. Um, prior to that book and the seeds it was sown from was a blog I wrote for a decade called Guess What Normal Is? And that blog was dedicated to the exploration of issues faced by people who grew up with alcoholic parents. The, the, what came of that really isn't specific to people who had alcoholic parents, um, really extended to anyone who had a less than perfect childhood. Um, I was trying to figure it out for myself. It was part of my exploration. I often had people write to me and say, well, I didn't grow up in an alcoholic environment, but my family was really religiously rigid um, and other similar examples. And more recently, it's essays I write. And like you said, Instagram, the kind of mini essays that I write on there. Uh, so over time, I've I have found that my calling is, it's, that's a very powerful, I appreciate that you're asking that question because it's really daunting and it's powerful, but it's nice to say those words. But my calling is to use writing to share my story because I believe we have to share our stories, period. We have to share our stories. They give to other people things we can't even imagine. Our job is just to tell our stories. It's not our job to try to necessarily help people through our stories because I don't think we can really know. You know, I also write you know, articles, nonfiction articles, and then short stories, flash fiction, and, and those sorts of things too. Thank you, Amy. The question does ask you to really like claim, <laughs> to claim something. And I, I appreciate you doing that. I, I think I like the question because of that. And, and I, in this essence, I've already sort of asked you to, to start wading into the water of knowing who you are, <laughs> because it, um, you know, that question asks you to come right to it. Um, 
And, and as I have been, and we in our group have been delving into this question, the more I look at it, the more complex it is. I mean, obviously we're all multifaceted. We have our past, our present, our choices into the future, and then, you know, body, mind, heart, there's, it's like a gemstone with all these different facets. And then on top of that, we keep changing. We're never the same. And so I'm curious with, with all that complexity that there is, what does it mean for you to know who you are? When I feel like I most know and have a sense of who I am, it's primarily expressed through boundaries. So, uh, and that might sound a little bit like saying, I know who I am based on what I'm not game for, what I won't do, what I say no to, and it kind of is. But, so writing, I studied writing. One of, one of the exercises I've always loved most is take a character, Put them on a Sunday morning, have them wake up in their own home and see how they behave. And Sundays are notorious for being really unstructured. And that's why it's a Sunday morning as opposed to a chaotic situation where they might behave like most people. So it's to see who are they or who am I or who are any of us when we have the least amount of structure you know, on the on the sun on the sunday unless you go to church then boom you've got you've got the structure but to really look at you know what emerges and it's an uncomfortable place you know so for me you know if what emerges is anxiety that's interesting that's something uh to look at you know, a lot of it for me has been feeling around in the dark, someone saying, oh, well, are you interested in doing that? And kind of getting an intuitive hit that I'm not interested or getting an intuitive hit like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And learning through that, what is okay, what is interesting and what is not. It's a little bit more complicated than that because, and I, I'm sure we'll get into this, but because of all the constructs within us, such as politeness, such as what a man is, such as what a woman is, such as surviving a childhood. You know, so someone might say, hey, do you want to come with the group and go camping? And you're like, nope. <laughs> well, <laughs> that might have to do with some internalized crap that you're reacting to because you're afraid to, you're afraid that, uh, that others will see that you don't know how to put up a tent because you're for, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I, so it, so it's, 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 it's nuanced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, to answer your question, I think for me, it really comes up around boundaries and learning, you know, what I'm okay with and not okay with. And I needed to do that because the way I was shaped was as somebody who, I was shaped by what my parents needed me to be as opposed to allowed to become who I was. So probably for me, it was like the opposite process of most people who are figuring out who they are. I mean, I wonder, because what I, what I kind of hear you talking about is that knowing who you are in some ways is about 
figuring out how to sort of shed or strip away what you're not or what you thought you were at one point or someone said you had to be and that those identities kind of, you know, layer on and stick. <laughs> and I hear you saying in some ways, it is really kind of like uncovering. It's, I'm imagining like an old house with beautiful floors that are covered by other stuff, you know, and it's just getting rid of, of what, what really was never supposed to be there to, to figure out, oh, there's something beautiful and real underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everyone has experienced this, that, you know, this kind of cathartic freeing, like one day realizing that, you know, you hate jazz music or you never want to wear another trench coat or you, you know, always tried to like blue, you know, big pens, but you just, and you realize it's like, I never liked that. I was just doing that for my partner, you know, or whatever, or because it's, it's what one did. I mean, and, you know, certainly we have the privilege to explore <laughs> on that on that level but you know if you think about it we're all we're all spiritual we're all a spirit we're all a soul like if you really strip everything away you know and and I introduced myself and you introduced me and we did it in kind of a, you know the the like classic way of like qualifying what makes someone like why y'all are listening to me in particular you know <laughs> And those are, those are kind of accomplishments. They're also part of the things I picked up on a road that is very purpose-driven. But, you know, so it's like, who are you? It's, you know, number one, a soul. You know, there, was a, there was a time I used to think about when I become conscious in the morning, in what order do I become who I am? And depending upon, you know, how much your gender means to you, you might sense first that you are a soul, you might sense second that you're a man or a woman or whatever you identify as, you might then, then, then the mother layer comes on or that, you know, so I, for me, it was interesting when I did that exercise and studied that for a while and just being aware, which, you know, in studying meditation, you can really become aware on a meta level of, of those types of things. Um, that that I, for me i my identification as a woman was pretty early on before some other things you know for me that's the real the real heart of it is free to soul and then we go from there that's a beautiful place to land there's an element to to who we are that is kind of given to us or or at any in any case unchosen you talked about that just a little bit. And then of course, there's also a lot about it, especially as we get older, um, about what we have a choice in. Who do I want to be? Um, what identities or roles do I want to take on and, and all of that. But as far as what we were given or what was unchosen, that is the realm of, let's say, parents and ancestors, people we have known, have not known, our upbringing, our DNA. And this, I feel, makes the, the kind of work of investigating who you are or stripping, like I, seeing those layers before shedding them, it makes it pretty difficult, I would imagine, and pretty painful as well. I know from what you've said that your growing up was not easy. 
And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how, how did you and how do you work with having this history that is part of you and yet is not defining you or is not all of you? Yeah, I think it's really important for anyone who has had a difficult upbringing or any trauma in their life that could very easily define them to come to a place where you decide whether it does or not. I, you know, a lot of people, and, and myself included, uh, have, as it turned out, you know, their, their original trauma or their story become something that really informs their work. It's informed my work. And, and I'm okay with that now because I've transformed it. You know, so the difference is, so for me, growing up, so I'll try to touch on this briefly, and then I might say kind of what events over the you know, last 30 years have allowed me to kind of peel back the layers and get a sense of knowing who I am. So I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, near Lake Superior. And my mother, who was bipolar and struggled with addiction, my father did too, he struggled with addiction. Um, but my mother brought me to my grandparents' house and left when I was four, I was three or four. And, and there was no, four, like she left me at her grandparents' house and didn't come back. So it was like any other weekend, except she didn't come back to get me. And it was never really explained to me. My father, I don't quite even to this day know how he spent that time, but I spent almost two years with my grandparents. I started kindergarten living with them. And it was actually incredibly stable, uh, nourishing time in many ways. My father reappeared with a woman who became my stepmother. And I lived, lived out the rest of my childhood with them and my siblings. Um, they had two children and, and my stepmother adopted me. So, but the thing is my dad was a, was his alcoholism became really active and really destructive. So it wasn't as if it was all fine after this you know, family came together. So that just compounded the, you know, for many years, I thought my main trauma was that I grew up in an alcoholic household. But, you know, to be honest, I think it's that earlier uh, disappearance of my mother. I mean, it's kind of obvious to me now, but that, that, was, that was really it. Um, now, I'm not over that. I, I may never be, but I no longer unconsciously live in reaction to the pain, or I no longer live in reaction to the pain. I no longer live in a giant effort to numb that pain because I process so much of it. And that's, that's taken years. That doesn't mean the work, I don't want anyone to hear that and think, ah, it's gonna take years or the rest of my life or whatever. There were intense periods in my younger life where, that I spent really working on it in therapy and then periods where I didn't and then I'd, I'd kind of plateau and then something would occur the relationship didn't work out or I wanted something I was feeling ambitious about something and I felt like 
this crap was in my way. And I needed to go back into therapy and kind of work it out, get more tools, get to the next level. So there would be, wouldn't be the self knowing that, that I feel there is without that. So for me, the main ingredient was, you know, be abandoned by your mother, grow up in an alcoholic household, get out of that household, become the owner of your own life, and then eventually see that difference. Of course, we live in reaction to how we were raised. And even if we were raised in a wonderful, supportive way, it's still worth taking a look at the morals and values you were handed and deciding if you choose them. I think it's, it's just a worthwhile exercise. So, so it, for me, it really took a process of realizing there's really something wrong with the way I was relating to other people. I was highly defensive. I took anything that smelled like criticism and was, you know, angry about it. I couldn't, I couldn't hear suggestions. I only heard criticism and I was very much a black and white thinker. But in college, I went into therapy and I read books and found ways of, you know, working with that. So, you know, your question is, is a very complex one, you know, and I, and I, I feel like I want to reassure people that you can overcome anything. I know there are people who spend their entire lives numbing and drowning out a trauma that is terrifying, that is too terrifying to, to deal with. I also know that they're far less scarier when you open the box and you look at what the trauma is. And I just imagine what, what kind of light and freedom lies on the I don't almost don't want to say the other side, but but at, you know within opening that box with letting go of the numbing, and I, I really appreciate your phrasing of that. While this is still with you, it's it's part of you. You're not living in unconscious reaction all the time to this, but it's more sounds like visible to you, the history is more visible and there's more awareness about your own choices going forward of how you're being in the world. Right, it becomes a kind of a litmus test. Like, okay, am I reacting to this? Or am I, is this a choice free of victim-oriented or reacting behavior? I mean, the biggest shift that I had to make was moving out of living in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And, and we're, we're probably all going to have to do that again. Going from, from that survival mentality to thriving is an enormous shift. And it feels so good that it reinforces itself. Mm. I mean, that, that's the nice thing. I mean, as it turns out, it's not more pain than you can handle. Oh, look at this. It's really not. And it's so freeing. You know, I felt much lighter in the, I mean, each little epiphany is like this, this wonderful gift. It feels like grace, you know, I think, and this work can't be done all of a sudden. Right. A lot of us are like, oh, okay, I got five years to figure out who I am. And then I'm going to probably be alive for 10 more. So like, what's the, you know, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And there are all these vehicles for, for knowing ourselves. Well, and this is what I also want to ask you about. So you've mentioned therapy and books 
and I also know that journal and, and journal writing and writing is a part of this for you. And so I'm curious if you could talk about that a little bit of how, how does journal writing fit into this as a tool for, for healing, for self-discovery? Writing always played a role for me. And I don't mean creative writing, but just, or, you know, creative writing, but that was expressing feelings. When I was in high school, I wrote a lot of song lyrics and, but that was just another form of expressive writing. So it's always early on, as I can remember, the urge was to grab a pen and to writing on paper and, and, and get it out. And it lessened the pain. It literally lessened the pain. As it turns out, now there's research to support that depending upon the type of writing you're doing, if you are expressing feelings, it produces the equivalent of an immune response. It activates the immune center in the body. So there is, there is an actual uh, literal healing, writing about feelings specifically. So as opposed to saying, you know, today I went hunting and then I went grocery shopping. You know, to write actually about what upsets you and the feelings you feel around it. As long as that's happening and that's getting on the page, it is stimulating the immune system. It like made my day, made my year to read that research because it's so powerful. And, you know, and also it's one of those things that I know everyone, you know, the medical community, it's like, here, take a pill, it'll help. And I feel like we're so used to that. When we're told like writing helps, it's like, nah, how could it? It doesn't cost any money. <laughs> so it's very empowering to know that it does, you know, it's affordable, it's accessible. You could do it almost anywhere and it helps you. So yeah, and over time I've just, I've developed different approaches and different ways of approaching the page and then started to guide others and teach others and how they might do that for themselves in their own journals. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to say that you know, in terms of knowing who you are, I would guess that most of us do. But the question is, what parts of who you are have you not yet given yourself permission to be or to share with others? Mm. And there are all these vehicles. Journal writing is a vehicle, but even something like you know, ancestry work, where you get your DNA test and you find out, um, you might find out something about yourself that challenges who you thought your family was or your lineage. You know, for me at one point, I was diagnosed with uh, an autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and that became its own journey of figuring out what I was made of. I found that my approach was to reform my diet. I didn't know I was that kind of person that was really <laughs> willing to do that. So I feel like there are, there are some, uh, you know, there's journal writing, but there's also just life experiences. And like I was saying before, with, with a character that you have wake up on a Sunday and you kind of look at, okay, who, what choices do they make? Who are, who are they on a Sunday? It's also the same with experiences and how we behave in the face of challenges or group events. Let's say you go on that camping trip you really didn't want to with the group but you do and you find out something about uh, who you are. You know? So I think that 
I think that it's really, those answers are, are all around and so many opportunities for knowing who we are that are, um, that make themselves, that just find us over time. I don't wish an autoimmune disease on anyone. I just want to be clear about it. <laughs> no. For me, it ended up really transforming my life. So, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it strikes me through a lot of what you're saying, and and now that something is sort of clicking into place, um, because when we started exploring this, who are you? It was almost like some of us in the group we kind of like deer in the headlights, like ah, I don't know. And it, and it almost seems like a question that to approach it head on, it almost runs away. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and I, what I hear you saying is kind of maybe ask the question and don't answer it, but rather just be on the lookout for, for who you are to show up. That these little clues where you notice, oh, this person invited me to do this and I found out that I am not the person who wants to do that, or even I did it. And now I know I'm not the person who ever does that again. Um, <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, I didn't have any structure around my day and I found myself leaning in this direction. Oh, that, that must be part of who I am rather than this, this kind of hunting approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, and I like that example, like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again because it's, there's a willingness to try. And then they're seeing that they're, they're seeing how it went. I mean, you know, and again, it's all over time. Like, you know, I started to notice at one point when I started looking at food stuff in my life, like food behaviors and that there would sometimes come a point in a conversation. Let's say I was out at a cafe, someone or a small group, or at a party, and I would notice at a certain point that I would start to feel restless, and I would go get stuff to eat. I would either order, like, order another dessert or something, I don't know, you know, or get another, you know, cappuccino or kind of go over and look at the food, and it, it took a while to really figure out what was going on, but what I understood was that's a signal that I'm actually ready to go that I've had enough of the conversation and usually it's at like an hour and a half in or something like that and and that I don't have to um, you know, use food to keep going in the conversation or make it more interesting or get another decaf to like power through that I can and this is where like the permission comes in is I can say I can recognize that my physiology is telling me okay, you've had enough. You're starting to drift. Uh, you made your connection. You guys caught up and now you're ready to go. So do you have the guts to say, you have the guts to feel what is for you rude and say, you guys, you know what? I'm going to head home. And that, that was really interesting. So again, that's like a, that's an unexpected vehicle for discovering oneself. And it's not, and the other thing is when you say, who are you? or talk about knowing who you are, uh, the question isn't, who do you think you are? <laughs> it's not, it's really just who is, who is you? Who is inside? 
but it's a very, um, it's such an important question and it's so simple, but it's also frightening. Well, it's kind of like that question of what's your calling. It's like a lot of commitment there. And it's one thing for somebody else to say who you are and you're kind of like, mm, okay, but, but to, to reach out and say, Hey, I am a writer. I am whatever is that, that thing that you're claiming it, it can feel, it can feel like that's the question of who do you think you are <laughs> to claim this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, and you said what other people say. I mean, for me, that's a large part of unpacking knowing who you are is others have helped me understand. Maybe, well, I'll just say that others have helped me understand who I am, but others have also been barriers to understanding who I am. Mm -hmm. So if you've done the work of figuring out, you have to know whether you're the kind of person who's easily influenced by the opinions of others or not. If you know that, then you can navigate people telling you who you are. Because sometimes people will tell you wonderful things about yourself that you'd like, that you aspire to be. And, and it, it may not be true. And others may have it very right. So it's, it's neither nor, I mean, it's the gray area. Exactly. Yeah, I could see how what other people feel that we are could be an ingredient in discovering this and yet is not necessarily always to be, to be trusted. It's sort of just like, here's, here's something to consider that, that this is one option of, of, that somebody has noticed or, or thinks that they have noticed, but more of an option than a, a fact. Right. It's an option. It's something to consider and, and, and something subjective to consider. I mean, if I were to call you up and say, you know, Katie, I'm, I'm, I'm having a crisis. Can you please tell me who I am? <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't, I would love to do that. I would love to call everyone I know and ask them who I am. <laughs> who am I? Can you just remind me? I don't think, I mean, could they? I mean, do you think we could do that for, I mean, I think I could, if you called me and said, Amy, who am I? Like, who am I? I, I, I would be able to tell you some wonderful things, but I, you know, I think it's really such a solo journey. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm asking that genuinely. I, I mean, when you say that to me, it, it makes me realize that sometimes, and now this is not just like people, this is certain people, um, like my mom and my sister, that there are, there have been times when my sense of self or okayness is shaky and it's like they're holding a piece of it and and i can talk to them and they they remind me you you are and have always been this this person and you still are so there there are those times and those people who i think they're like you know it's like they're the keeper of part of of part of who i am because we have this history and they know me and and all of that but that that isn't exactly what you're talking about of just sort of this blank slate of like please help me find my identity that to me is 
it, like you said, it's, it's solo work and it's hard won, but it's so worth it to come to it by yourself. Any of those shortcuts of like, well, my friend says I'm this and my mom says I'm that. So there you go. Like that, that would be, it would be false, I think. And I think it would, that's the kind of thing that leads us into living in a way that is just difficult because it means then we're, we're trying to fit in to these people's ideas rather than live into our own truth. Yeah. I mean, and certainly it's interesting what you say about calling them and they kind of help you their little uh, cracks where you're like, ah, help me, remind me, just like lift me up. (laughs) And I, and I think that's a great moment where when someone says, Hey, your compassion's your thing. Like that's your anchor. That's your compass. And I think when you have that feeling that like, okay, right. It just snaps back into place. That's, that's a form of, of, self, of knowing oneself. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, that's correct. I want to ask you a couple of things that I know this might be a little bit awkward, but I, I pulled a couple quotes from your, your blog um, or your website. And so they're kind of decontextualized, but I'm hoping that you can offer some, some context or, you know, if you hear it and it just sounds like, oh, I don't know, you can always rephrase it or change. <laughs> so, um, the, the first is, you wrote, every time I open my journal, I want to find truth. So I'd love for you to tell us more about that. Yeah, that's what drives me. Because when I open my journal, and I primarily journal in the morning, I want to know what's true. I want to know, I want to be really honest and I want clarity, and I believe in that. I mean, here's the context for why I became the type of person who, for whom truth is so important. And I will admit, truth is subjective. So it's just the truth that, uh, it's, it's the motivation is driving towards truth. I'm not claiming that one ever gets there. But because I was raised in the environment of the alcoholic, uh, the code, it's, it's not surprising that that became what motivates me when I open my journal. And the code for alcoholic family systems is don't talk, don't think, don't feel, which is really convenient for everybody else, but sucks for the kid. So then you become someone who doesn't, trust your own who doesn't know for I'll speak for myself so I became someone who didn't know how feelings felt I had to learn how certain feelings felt in my body I didn't know the difference between a need and a want so I thought everything my I thought my needs were wants and they were selfish and one more is that I was often lying or misrepresenting how I felt or what I wanted or what I needed. So 
you know, the opposite of truth. So when I open my journal and I'm driving towards truth, it's because that's what set me free. Because truth is the antithesis of the code that I was raised with. Mm, that's beautiful. I just, I mean, I, I, I use that word a lot, but I really, I really believe that it, it, it is, that, that truth is beautiful even when it's ugly simply because it's true <laughs> and 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 not false that the falseness it feels you can feel the the sort of sickening quality of of that kind of you know don't talk about it don't say that thing and so that truth just in its clarity has has beauty to it yeah and that's probably and I agree with you when we talk about truth, you know, it's, it's subjective, but we know it, we, we can feel what, what that is for us. And that's the kind of truth that I'm, that I'm talking about. And I guess exactly. I'll just take a detour here, which is, I'll, I'll explain a little bit first to take a detour from my detour, which is whenever we talk about practices, I think there's just a given that there's something missing because the magic of any practice is actually doing it, actually being immersed in it. So that is like talking about meditation. Okay, it's helpful, but it isn't, it will not let you know how meditation is, right? And I feel like writing is the same. It's like you're trying to describe like magic. Um, and it's, so let's just know that as we talk about this, it's gonna maybe feel like we're fumbling in the dark a little bit because the good stuff is in the practice itself. But that said, so we're, we're talking about truth. How do you think we get to truth in writing? Like how, how does this happen that you, let's say you sit down, you're feeling one way, you have some question of like, uh, what should I do or whatever it is. And then a certain amount of time passes and now you know something that you didn't know before. <laughs> What do you think is going on there? Well, yeah, I mean, truth and, and realizations kind of have their own timeline. So I think our job is to ask the questions and show up and then the rest kind of does its own, its own work. So if, if you were to open up your journal after this conversation and write down, uh, right now I feel you know, and write out the emotion. And I would say write a few because usually we feel a few different things at one time, but you know, I feel, you know, kind of lit up or my intellectually, you know, kind of turned on and also exhausted. I feel a little worried um, and hungry, you know, like just kind of the full spectrum of what, what you're feeling right then. And then for me, as I'm, as I'm journaling, I'm often, posing questions and urging myself on. So sort of like, you know, I, I've done a meditation practice where uh, you're meditating and then you think a thought and you just tag it like thought or sound. So the, the part of us, because, you know, as humans, we have this ability to kind of like metacognition. So we can be doing one thing and thinking about the thing that we're doing. So when I'm journaling, it's like that. So I'm saying how I feel, and then I'm coaching myself to say, well, what of those feelings gives you a pang? And 
it's the fatigue. And so I go, okay, what, you know, it bothers me that I'm tired because I, I'm worried that my system is overtaxed. So I kind of follow, I, I follow a thread. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might say, if, if I write something judgmental, like, um, I should have gone to, you know, I shouldn't have had that coffee at four. And then I ask in my mind, I think, well, how, how could I rephrase that in a bit, in, in more of a friendly tone? Uh, and I'll, I'll try that. So that's kind of the process. And then the, the effect of doing that, particularly turning the compassion, like using the compassionate frame on criticizing myself, it's doing that that I think does the magic that you're talking about, where then later when I have a critical thought or the next time, the next morning when I journal, I'm more likely to to catch myself or likely to catch a critical thought or, and honestly, it comes out with others too, more likely to notice someone else criticizing themselves and more likely to say, hey. So what, I mean, part of what I'm hearing is the tools. It's almost like what we might get if we were talking to a really good and caring excellent conversationalist where, I mean, I, I'm now, as I'm thinking about it, I've had that experience where somebody keeps asking me questions. Oh, really? Well, why is that? Why do you think that was? And I find myself saying things that I didn't actually know were inside me, or I didn't know that I thought that, or, or that I knew that. And so when I hear you speaking about it, or as I'm thinking about this other sort of version of it, it seems like spaciousness, like that there's time there that, that no one's like hurrying you along on to the next thing that journaling, it's like you've sat down and said, here, this is all for you. <laughs> you know, the, the attention is there and the spaciousness so that there's this ability to follow the thread, to not just say, oh, well, I guess that's what you're feeling. Okay, till next time. It's examining it more. And then with a lens that is, really wanting to be kind. Yeah, I like that, that the spaciousness. And there is, it's as if the person who is journaling with you, dialoguing with you in your mind is your inner kind and loving parent. The ideal parent who says, tell me more, I wanna know, tell me everything you know, pulls up a chair and says, I don't, I have all, sets their phone like in the other room. I have all the time in the world to hear why you're frustrated. Yeah. I mean, so what a gift. I mean, it's a gift when, when we talk to people who are like that, or when we show up like that, but to see journal writing in that way that we're offering that gift to ourselves of really being heard by this person right here, it really makes me happy. I don't know, for me, I don't quite know how I found my way to journaling. I think somebody gave me a diary when I was really young. And I'm like, here, have fun with that. And and I did, And but I never probably knew what a gift it was being as I, you know, even as I wrote as a little kid, like the writing itself, just the spaciousness of it and the time 
seems like an act of self self-care self-compassion big time self-care and activation of the immune response as we now know so cool <laughs> vitamin j <laughs> i'm going to choose one of my remaining questions and then i'll open to other folks questions yeah that's great yeah so i have some short questions so we'll save those but one more kind of meaty one um, you and I have a lot of similarities, I think, that we're discovering, and one of them is anxiety. Yay, we're in the anxiety club. And I think we've both discovered that writing can be a tool to work with anxiety. And I'm curious, I mean, you, I think some of the things you've said could apply to working with anxiety. It's like you just talked about sort of following the thread of, of emotions and but I'm, I'm curious if there's anything more you want to add specifically about how you've used writing as a, as a tool in this way. Yeah, it's one of, yeah. And I'm so sorry about, about the anxiety. Does that, does that include uh, panic attacks for you? No, thankfully no. Yeah, good. And the first time I had a panic attack, I didn't even know I was having a panic uh, it, because it's, it is the, a panic attack, you know, and the anxiety rises to that point and it doesn't have to. Now it, I know, now I have tools so that it doesn't usually, but it's the sensation that you are going to either implode or combust, but you don't, like you're going to die, like you're having a stroke and a heart attack, but it's, it doesn't, it's just this, the most uncomfortable prison and it's, and it's paralyzing. And I, I will say that the, the key antidote is action, taking some form of action. Invariably is the way out of a, a panic attack uh, and has a lot of value for anxiety as well. Uh, but writing, it's the first thing I do. If I wake up and I notice I have stomach snakes and just that kind of butter, butterflies and ishy feeling in my gut. I know it's hit and uh, I get to my journal. It's one of the first things I do. And I, you know, I kind of report like, okay, anxiety, these are the feelings. And I start to, in my journal question, what might the source be? And I wasn't able to ask this before, but now it's, is there an action I need to take? Am I avoiding something? What? triggered this. I have also learned that almost always when I have bouts of anxiety, that I have come, I've, I've somehow become separated from, from my faith. And I, I don't mean that, uh, don't interpret that as religious faith, like Catholicism, but, but in, in my faith in, in the world, in the universe, in spirit, in, in things being okay. And it's almost always a result that I'm trying to control something that I have no business controlling and that I have forgotten that I work hand in hand with the universe. I got my jobs and tasks and the universe has its jobs and its tasks and then we get stuff done. But I have to use writing to get there. 
get to, to see that. I have to say, yeah, I have to say, was it this? What triggered it? Is, is that I'm, I started to explore, you know, a different, um, living in a different place. Oftentimes something like that where you're really messing with your home base, it can be triggering. I can't imagine, I'll, I'll be really honest, I can't imagine having navigated all the anxiety over the years without a journal. And I've done it with therapists, with great friends, with uh, medication, but never without a journal. That's foremost. Mm -hmm. And meditation. I was actually, I was had, had some panic attacks. When I met you, <laughs> I came to, to sit and meditate with you and I've been navigating that. I imagine. I mean, that was a time with those fires and the kind of messing with home base. Right. I don't know what right. else? Mm -hmm. I'll ask my quickies, and we will we will go quick with these ones. We described you. You described yourself as a journal writing advocate. Do you think that everybody should give this a try? You know, I know they're short questions, and I I'm a people pleaser, so yes, I do. <laughs> Do you have an easy way for, for people to get started? Do you have something you suggest? If somebody says, I, I don't know, am I just going to sit there? What should I do? I would start with five minutes. And I would be willing to crumple it up and throw it away. I, a lot of times a barrier is a, the, a sense of privacy. It, it can feel vulnerable. Um, you can agree to do, to not necessarily write something terribly evocative, but I would say write down something and do it for five minutes. It's great if it involves a feeling. I would say write down the answers to what am I feeling and what do I need right now? That's a great place to start. I like that. And even if that was a five minute practice each day for a little bit, I think that would be a great way to, to check in. And so I'm, I also know that even though I, I agree with you, I think everybody should try it. I kind of feel like the same way I do about meditation. Like, yeah, it might not feel quite right right away, but, but I really think everybody should give it an honest try. However, I know that, you know, well, I've talked to people and I know that with different learning styles and personalities, writing may not be everybody's cup of tea for how they get to, to the, the truth of themselves. And I'm curious if you, um, if you have other ways or you know of other ways that, that people do this work of reflecting. No, it is only journal writing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways. I mean, you know, putting aside that, like the therapeutic benefit of like, you know, ink on paper, like putting that aside there, I mean, there's so many ways to express and say how you feel. It could be through collage, cutting out pictures of, of, of um, a face or a scene that is representative of how you're feeling. Doodling, mm -hmm. sketching, recording a voice memo. Um, prayer, speaking out loud. I mean, these are all similar to journaling in that you're, you, are, you are representing a feeling mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or you are speaking to yourself and maybe to something greater than you. Mm, thank you. 
And then my last one for now is if we want to hear more from you or, or, you know, do more of your stuff, where would you direct us? Uh, website is a great place to start. So my website is amyedenjollymore.com. On there, you can sign up for the newsletter, which is a way to get a dose of kind of my way of thinking about things every so often. If I do a podcast, you'll hear about it. If I do, um, if when one of my journal writing courses launches twice a year now, I do a journal writing challenge. And that's totally free. Uh, and it's just a commitment to write for seven days in a row, seven to seven, not a lifetime, just seven days in a row in a journal. Cool. So I'm curious now, those of us who have been listening and, and have heard this conversation, what's striking you or what, what questions do you have? I have been an avid journal writer for decades. My question to you, and I, I have certain feelings about it, but my question to you is, it sounds like in the discussion that there's great value in the process, writing the moment, but do you ever, do you find value in going back through old journals? Sometimes. You know, there's so many different opinions on that. I, I'm not a journal burner. I, and I, that's, that's great. It has its place. So I keep them, but also I'm working on a memoir and I, for the most part, I haven't spent a lot of time going back through them, but just for me personally, there are times I want some reassurance that I've made a little progress. Um, there have been times that I, Katie knows this, I went back through and saw a lot of stuff about anxiety and and thought, well, great, I've been dealing with this my whole life, no progress there. But in, to see it another way, I, it was an opportunity for compassion to see like, okay, anxiety is something that is part of who I am, as is continuously exploring who I am is part of who I am. So, and the journals kind of bear testament to that. But what do you think about that? And do you find that they are kind of a great weight hanging out in your home? Sometimes, you know, I, I, so I've been keeping a journal since about probably junior high, and I'm, I'm 60. I turned 60 last year. That's a lot of journals. But I do have to admit that I am a journal burner, and I, and I almost hate to say that because then there are times that I wish I had the ability to go back, but I find that as I go through journals, if I find that it's almost like reliving trauma. Uh, yeah. Just yeah. get rid of it. I've I've torn pages out and saved good pages. <laughs> yeah. I I was just curious. Everybody has their own personal practice with their journals. But I just I the way I look at it now at this stage in my life, the process of just the daily catharsis of getting stuff out, I think has served its purpose for me. And a lot of times I don't necessarily need to go back or even want to go back because I feel like what I put out on the page now is kind of what I have evolved to and the stuff in the past is the past. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. 
And I can offer one more perspective and mine's kind of the opposite, which is I do read them. <laughs> um, I, for a while now, for a couple of years now, I've made a practice like November, December to read through the year of journaling. And as just as a kind of, I'm kind of skimming, but I'm kind of reminding myself what, what happened? <laughs> what did I struggle with? What did I overcome? And part of it, it's really nice. Like you said, Cindy, like, yeah, it is in the past. And it, it kind of helps me with that practice of everything changes because I see something that was such a big deal, so upsetting and like has no impact <laughs> on me anymore, you know, or, or, you know, things I learned or things I forgot about. And so I do, I do enjoy doing that. And sometimes I'll make little notes of, of the good stuff that I, that I came across. And I also, and this is, again, this speaks to probably my, my nature for good or evil, um, that I have journals now that have page numbers in them and like an index. And so I can actually note, you know, like anxiety, that's always in the index. And when I find myself writing a lot about it, I'll just note the page number because sometimes I don't have time. Like, let's say I'm in anxiety and I don't necessarily have the time or the energy to write out and I've done it before and I'll go back and I'll read it. I'll be like, oh yeah, that, that's, that point stands. Yes. <laughs> I feel like sometimes as I work through things, I'm sort of making like a manual about what it's like to be Katie and how to get through it or something like that. And so I do find it nice to, to look back at some of those things. That's part of my, my practice. And that's, I think, why part of why I do gravitate to writing it down because, because I can go back to it. Um, speaking aloud or speaking to somebody else is beautiful and it, then it has to exist in memory. I, I want to turn to Missy's question from the chat. Um, do, this is for Amy. Do you ever do stream of conscious journaling during meditation? Hmm. Yeah, I do. Uh, not during meditation, but um, because when I'm meditating, I'm meditating. But I mean, as part, as like an extent, maybe you mean as an extension of that. So I don't do it per se as, you know, part of, part of meditation. But um, I do occasionally take a stream of consciousness approach where it's really loose, really disjointed, and I just let it flow. It can be terrifying. Um, but it's really, it's, it's really very freeing. So I think it's, you know, one of many ways to approach it. I wanted to just say one more thing about Cindy's question. And I mean, this, you know, thing about journal writing is it's a big question about reading them and about keeping them. And I think we have to answer it for ourselves. A friend's mother told her, like in no uncertain terms, like burn my journals. She burns them. So she just has one going at a time. But she told her, you know, if I die before I'm able to burn this, just promise me. You know, nothing about the China. She's like, burn, please. So, you know, I think it's a really personal choice. And if you can be, if you can, anyone here can feel freer 
as free as you need to feel knowing you're going to burn it when you're done if that gets you writing more honestly then i would do it it can be really disconcerting to read what you've written in a journal because they're raw feelings. It wasn't meant to be, you know, so I, I think that, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend reading back over if, unless, depending upon why you're doing so. With a therapist or with a certain plan, like I said, I'm using mine to sort of for memoir. Otherwise, I really wouldn't go back. But anyway, it can be really disconcerting. And I just wanted to acknowledge, acknowledge that. And that's what's so funny about journals. Like you keep them, they're in these really oftentimes these beautifully bound books and then it's like it's true i mean and and it speaks what you're saying i think speaks to all the different roles that journal writing can have you know what kinds of things are going in there probably does depend on whether you want to revisit that particular one or whether you want to keep it around or or release it um i this is evelyn speaking um i I'm currently reading a, a book called Wounds into Wisdom. Mm. And this book, um, Amy, do you know of it? No, I'm writing it down right now, though. <laughs> okay. Now, this, this has wonderful information uh, for anyone that has lived through a trauma. It's uh, the subtitle is Healing Intergenerational Jewish Trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyone who's had trauma in their life can benefit from the book. And she talks about, um, the author talks about witness and how important it is to have a witness. And I was thinking that the journal can serve as witness. Anyhow, the, the book is really very valuable, I find. Thank you, Evelyn, for sharing that. You're welcome. Witnessing is so important. I, that's, a, that's really powerful. And, I, and I, I think that's also why the burning question is so um, tricky, because when something does bear witness to your story, to then let go is difficult. There's a, a woman, her name is Marilyn Cloitra, and she worked with a lot of trauma victims uh, during 9-11 and has uh, written on um, a process for helping people through trauma. And uh, a part of that is like, you know, first telling your story, but having someone bear witness. And it can't always be a friend or a family member because if they're reacting to what you're sharing with them, then the witnessing really isn't happening. So oftentimes it's a therapist who does that, or a rabbi or you know, another faith-based person who can hold that space for you. But the witnessing is critically important for anyone recovering from PTSD. So I love hearing that, the journal being regarded as the witness, um, because then it becomes even more self-sufficient. And it occurs to me, too, that I think this question about what you do with that journal, it, it's almost that it doesn't necessarily matter what you do with it as long as what you do with it is intentional because 
as you said, it's, it's a, it has been a witness. It is a witness. And so if you're burning it, you know, it, there's something about ceremony perhaps to it, not just like, you know, tossing it in the kitchen trash can or something like that, that it's a very, it's intentional and it recognizes um, the, the meaning of what's there. Yeah. Amy, thank you. Time, time always goes really, really quick <laughs> when we're talking because there, and there's so much there. There's probably about a million threads. I could go back and, and pull out more from some of the things that you've mentioned. I, I'd love for us to talk another time in the future about boundaries and how that goes into who we are. You, you've touched on that and it's so uh, tantalizing to ask more about that. And also I'm, I'm struck and maybe I'll, I'll just bring this back as a way of thanking you of what you said at the beginning about telling your story and how how important that is to tell your story that it is important for for you the one telling the story but also there's this really mysterious gift to it where the hearer of the story we don't know what we're giving people when we give them access to our story that they might see some aspect of their self or something they had never thought about and so i really want to thank you for sharing your story with us and for how you do that right here in this conversation and also through your writing. I just really appreciate being in conversation with you. Oh, thank you for saying that. Nothing else I like to talk about more than, than these matters. Just as a reminder for those who, who were not aware, this conversation is happening as part of Flourish and Bloom Collective. Every month we, we take one topic, big, topics like this and explore it in for a month in all kinds of different ways and journaling is is one of the ways and these conversations for me and like this one is an excellent example of how it just brings a new new ways of looking at this at at the topics new ways of thinking about it there's magic in this i think just as there is in journal writing that when we start um, we don't know where we'll end up Huge thanks to Amy for her generosity in sharing some of her journey with us and for her thoughtful responses. I really would encourage you to check out her book, The Kind Self-Healing Book, and to sign up for her mailing list at amyedenjollymore.com so that you can join her upcoming offerings. And I hope you might have just a little spark of excitement right now about, you know, finding a comfy seat, pulling open a journal, and just beginning to write for a few minutes. I hope you get a little sense of that magic that we were talking about, about discovering more of who you are. I'm sending a warm smile to the sweet people who showed up live for this conversation with their full presence and wonderful questions. Big appreciation to my dear husband, Adil, for creating beautiful music snippets and for taking time to make this sound like a real podcast. And thank you so much for listening to Flourish and Bloom podcast. I hope you heard something here that's inspiring or nourishing or helpful in some way. It would be great if you could consider leaving a review. I would really love to know what you think 
And in addition to this, your reviews help more people to find this podcast. If you're craving community and support to dive deeper into self-compassion, self-care, mindfulness, and personal growth, please come visit me at katiedutcher.com and see if joining Flourish and Bloom Collective sounds like a good next step for you. Flourish and Bloom Collective is an offering of Monterey Bay Meditation Studio, where you can join our free online mindfulness community at community.montereybaymeditation.com. So I'm going to say goodbye for now, and I'll have a new podcast conversation for you in about a month. So if you subscribe, you'll get it delivered to your app automatically when it arrives. Thank you for being here, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.